Hey guys, Walter Fetchick here to tell you that Unicorn.com may be the world's premier esports betting site, but they're also your best bet for keeping up with all the esports you love. With their site's newest update, they've reinvented their Live Now system and created a TV guide style layout to find out when your favorite teams will be playing next. And if that isn't simple enough, they've even added a search bar to help filter it down even further. And you know, even if you aren't a gambling fan, Unicorn's newest update is a must-have for any esports fan. And you might even discover your favorite new writer in their news section. We've got my man Drowling with some excellent CSGO content, and you can find some fantastic articles from my lovely co-host, Chase Wassner, as well. So check out the new layout at Unicorn.com, because there are a few places where you can stay up to date on all your favorite esports, and Unicorn can help. Unicorn.com. Welcome to the new e-sportsbook. Hello, Internet. My name is Walter C.A.D.S. Fedchuk, and it is time. We have finally gotten through the 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 kind of rainy, kind of windy, kind of like, you know, things get better spring. We got through the scorching, blazing hot summer. We got through regional finals that kind of cool everything off. And now we have hit the pinnacle of the 2017 League of Legends year. The 2017, the season seven world championship Play-in stage, yeah. because nothing can ever be easy with League of Legends this year, and into the future, Riot has to make things as complicated as possible and turn the the wild card tournament now into the wild card tournament, plus the three seeds from the major regions, because the three seeds from their major regions can't just be absolutely better than all the wild cards. And here to purport that argument is my good friend, and my co-host in the same room. Oh my goodness. Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. Oh, Chase, how are you doing today? I you know, I can't believe you revealed our secret. Like I thought at the end we were gonna do like a high five or something and like kind of break the fourth wall. Now it's just there. Well, no, because I have to spend the entire episode just 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 hoisting the belt my way. Yeah, that's just like fine. this. Look, I am here because I do love wildcard teams. I always love the international wildcard. I love seeing how these teams have now had an elevated status within Riot, where now they're being treated like a real team, quote-unquote. They're playing in this play, and they are on equal level with these three seeds from each of the four power regions. And while, you know, I think that is great that they're, you know, that they are these three seeds that need to prove themselves, I think that's always good. I think that helps keep these kind of teams that maybe didn't do as well towards the end of the split... Um, you know, maybe gives them a little bit more, you know, momentum, gets their feet back under them, gets them some practice against competitive teams on this new world's patch that everyone's going to be playing on, gives the people who are watching who are the one or two seeds or a Korean team, because obviously Korean teams are good enough, they don't have to deal with this. Um, they get to watch film of what their opponents are doing, they get to see the meta kind of begin to sort itself out without them, which is a nice advantage for them. And for these wildcard teams, they get a chance to prove people like you wrong. And they can prove us wrong. They have before. No one thought Albus Noxaluna was getting out of the group stage last year, but they did. No one thought that the Gigabyte Marines had a chance to do much of anything at MSI, and they took 
TSM to a best of seven and took a couple other maps along the way. These are teams that, while there hasn't been the widespread trickle-down effect on an individual region that I would like to see, we have seen the gap between wild cards as a whole and power regions as a whole get smaller and smaller every split. And I just can't wait because I do believe that there are at least one team, maybe two, of these wild cards that are going to surprise us and make really strong pushes. And I can't wait to see which ones they're going to be. We certainly watched a lot of film to try to get a good handle on which ones it's going to be. But yes. it's coming from somewhere. Yes, we, we've spent the last three days... Uh, taking in the the regional finals of whether it was four days, four days, four days, four days. He's, he's blocked some of it four out days. of his memory. That's right. I Understandably forget. so. Four days watching either the regional finals uh, of their gauntlet tournament in the case of uh, the Taiwanese and the Chinese teams, and then watching all the grand finals of the actual summer playoffs for all of these other regions, uh, and then also watching the the GPL's gauntlet for their second seed because that had to happen because they get two seeds because of how well Gigabyte Marines performed at MSI. Uh, but we're going to get to them in a couple days. We're going to start with Group A, which I, I think by far is going to be my favorite group to watch. Uh, they, of course, uh, contain Gambit Esports, the great 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 grandchildren of moscow five one of my favorite teams of all time uh team we a, a team that i look kind of highly on coming out of china and leon gaming the uh the latin american north representative that also had a pretty great msi run and has performed admirably in the last couple of wild card tournaments but always they haven't taken that next step into actually appearing on an international event stage outside the wildcard regions. And Chase, that's where we're going to start because there are three teams in each group. Two teams make it out of the, kind of this first round-robin play stage. And unfortunately, we both kind of agree, Lyon's probably the weakest out of the two teams here. So why do you think that's the case? Why do you think they won't make it out of the group to start with? Well, because they're in the group of death. And that's an unfortunate reality of these things is that because they haven't done that next step, as you pointed out, they were considered a pool three team uh, compared to the rest of the wildcard teams. I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's where they were placed, and this is where they're drawn, and they have to deal with that. And if you look at the reasons why it's not very likely to work out for them, it's the inconsistency... Uh, from the jungle position and the mid lane position, particularly the jungle. Adi is a guy who really loves to fight, but is not very particular about when and why. And when, when he gets these things like Jarvan, we saw so many times, especially in that game one, uh, as they faced off against, I believe it was, um, it wasn't Isaris game, that was in Latin America. It's the last in Latin America, so Infinity, I believe. Infinity Esports, yes. that's exactly right. And when they played against Infinity, he was going for all of these Jarvan dives and they were just getting repelled because Infinity had taken this poppy and it was clear that he didn't understand how that interaction worked. He didn't understand how to work around it. Yeah. And they just rammed their head into that door over and over until eventually they burst through, mostly because we saw Infinity start to make some mistakes down the line. That's not something you can count on. Uh, that's not something that their opponents here are going to allow them to do. And when they are going up against two 
veteran junglers in Diamond Prox and Condi, I feel like Audi is a huge liability, uh, especially in the early game, but in those mid to late game engages as well. There's just no point at which I feel like adding Audi to a 2v2 for either of his solo laners is going to be something that really helps them out. And, you know, Seiya is not a carry threat from this mid lane. Uh, it's, he's someone that was pretty passive as a whole over the course of the series. Uh, underwhelming is the word that kind of came up in my notes over and over as I talked about him. Uh, just not someone to get a lot of outplays, not someone that necessarily gets a lot of attention because so many of Leon's resources go to the sidelines. White Lotus is their star player. Jeral, I thought, had a great series and is someone who I think they're giving more and more of a role to as they build a better identity for themselves. But Seiya just didn't have that punch that you want from a mid laner. And when he's going to be going up against Kira, who is so good at individual outplays, and Gia, who is so good at this kind of rotation, split-pushy style, it feels like Leon is just going to be put on the back foot, basically, in, in all of these games. And that's a place where wildcard teams do not succeed as a whole. So those are two really big flaws that jump out at me when I watch them. And, and to me, they are insurmountable given the group that they're in. Unfortunately, you know, I, I think for two of these groups, it would be enough that, you know, their strengths would be enough to overpower that weakness. But them's the breaks, you know? The draw is what it is, and you've got to beat the people in front of you, and I'm not sure Leon can. Well, you did mention those strengths, so Chase, if there is a chance, and there always is a chance. I, Leon is a, a rather strong team, and we go back to that MSI performance where they performed exceptionally. They were great. They got out of that first round, uh, that round robin, and got to play in like the playoff stage to move on to MSI before they were defeated. And even back last year at Worlds, their group stage play in the wildcard tournament was was admirable and was kind of the first time that we'd seen either of the Latin American regions actually really do anything on the international stage. Mm -hmm. What is that strength? What is the one thing that if Leon were to surprise you and me and get out of this group, what would they kind of fall back on? Well, they're going to fall back on the one thing they didn't have during that MSI run, which is White Lotus. They At the MSI, they had to use Mario Me, their backup, because of visa issues. So we didn't actually get to see them at full strength, and they still looked pretty good. White Lotus is a monster. Uh, his Tristana is just a joy to watch. Pretty much perfect positioning. Very good sense of when he should be split-pushed. A very good sense of how to you know, clean up at the end of these team fights. Just everything you want from an AD carry, he is. And we've seen him do it now on multiple different champions over the years to a point where I feel comfortable saying that he has that range that I think is going to make him very dangerous mm -hmm. to any bot lane. And then you combine that with Genthix, who is this great Thresh player, great Blitzcrank player, reminds me a lot of... You know, the, the supports that we see, like Ale, who are really good at hook champions. Give him a hook, give him a way to engage in a fight, and then he's going to take it. Genthix is that kind of guy, and that is the kind of initiation, that aggressive tempo setting that we look for in a wildcard team. So if they're going to do well, it's going to be mostly through that bot lane. The other thing they have going for them is Jeral. Jeral played three different champions uh, over the course of their series. He had a game with AP Kennen in game one, which was... A weird thing that we saw multiple times this week. I'm not sure why, but it's a thing that existed. And so he played that relatively well. His Maokai was even better. His Camille was so dominant that after he got just one kind of gank going his way, 
they snowballed the game into a 23-minute victory. And you can say, like, oh, well, Camille's supposed to be able to snowball. Yes, but it's still really impressive that they were able to execute that snowball as efficiently and effectively as they did. They do know how to play with a lead. They do understand how to, to move that when they get that kind of early game going. Uh, they were very decisive in their decision-making. Unfortunately, that decisiveness did not stick around if they hadn't clearly won the game within the first 15 minutes. Games one and two were far more passive, far more reliant on Infinity making mistakes specifically around the Baron pit uh, in game one. But there are weapons in these sidelines, and I think if Gambit underestimates that, that's where Gambit kind of gets a little bit weaker when it comes to like blasting an Edward. I, I don't know that I... Hold in very high regard. I'll get more into that in a bit, but yeah. like that's that's where the advantage has to come from. Is they have to carry through those side lanes and do just enough to keep the mid lane protected, that it's not a liability. And if they can do that, they can surprise some people. And then from what we see from the unicorn lines involving Leon, I feel comfortable saying that I, I think they're a tier above where some people are placing them. It's just that compared to the other two teams that are in a group with, it probably doesn't. Yeah, I, I, I would say unfortunately Leon has just really bad luck on this draw because they could be in, you know, if they, they were in one of these other groups, uh, particularly if like they were in group C uh, or even group B, like they could get out of that group given the history of some of the other teams and regions there. Um, one thing that we do have to really keep in mind here as viewers of these regions and something that if you watched our VOD reviews, we are constantly kind of bringing up is remember the quality of their opponents, which is why, yes, that Camille massive carry does matter. But context also matters of wasn't playing against a particularly well-known top laner and was also a really bad matchup for that top laner. It was an Aurelia versus Camille matchup. And once one of those champions gets going, it's a really, really toxic kind of matchup to try and play into. So it still is impressive that Leon were able to just snap the trap, say, done, we got our lead. We're going to ride it. And they rode Geralt's Camille all the way to that victory. It was definitely impressive. Absolutely. But when you look at the other two teams that they're up against, I don't know if you can jump out on top of one of those teams as easily as Leon were able to in that game three. And really, they're going to have to, I think, against Gambit. And Gambit's top laner, PvP Stahos, is not one of those kind of guys that you do jump on top of. He's very reserved, very uh, laid back. This is not his natural position. He was a jungler for Albus Nox Luna when they made that run, and now he's a top laner to make way for probably the love of my life, Diamond Prox. So Chase, when we look at the Gambit Esports versus Leon matchup, mm -hmm. What is the thing that's going to put Gambit over the top? What is it that's going to get them out of this group by beating Leon probably twice? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at Diamond Prox. I, I think that he is clearly the veteran here, uh, someone who is so seminal to everything that Gambit has accomplished as an org, both when they were Gambit Gaming and now this revamped Gambit Esports. Uh, just a, a guy who clearly has this deeper understanding of the game a very good sense of, of how to move around the map. We saw very much some aggressive jungle pathing, sometimes to his own detriment. He can outthink himself from time to time, but constantly looking for plays, constantly looking for opportunities, constantly rotating around the map to, to the point where his opponents could not pin him down. Uh, and that M19 team is the Albus Knox Luna team that we saw at Worlds last year, so by no means 
a slouch of an opponent. You know, they, they really did play those mind games well, and I thought that that helped out. I think that Kira is still Kira, and that really helps. You know, I, I think that he has the ability to get those individual outplays when needed. Uh, I think that Cassiopeia in Game 2 in particular stands out to me as just him taking over a game in that regard. Uh, let's also remember that that whole Ziggs thing is, is a thing that he can do. And I love the fact that mid lane Ziggs is a thing again, yeah. at least in Russia. Um, it, he played it brilliantly. It's, it's a great example of just how well they're able to... When, when they can control the map mm -hmm. and put pressure on their opponents in that way, that's when they thrive. They like to treat their opponents almost like it's a pressure cooker where they just keep ramping up the heat a little bit more and a little bit more until their opponent lashes out and makes a mistake. And that's when you see these engages coming in. You know, PvP Stehos loves to play things like the Gragas, um, you know, things, you know, those kinds of in heavy engaged champions. And, and they really do a good job of seizing on those opportunities. So I, I do think ultimately all of that, those map rotations, those movements into the opponent's jungle to throw them off, it all comes down to Diamond Prox and his ability to shot call effectively and make sure that all of his teammates are on the same page. And if they're able to do that, they're going to be a scary team against, I think, more than people realize. I, I think that we have this idea that, like, oh, well, they're still a wild card team. And, and that is true, but I think that Gambit has the understanding of the game from a macro level that a lot of teams that we put in that wild card category don't usually have. So I, I, I'm very open to being surprised by this team, and I'm expecting them to give us a little bit more than maybe the average person might be expecting. I, I would definitely agree with that, and I'd say part of the reason why Diamond Prox is able to be so just blatantly aggressive and constantly turning up the pressure is the fact that Stehos and Kira are really consistent performers. They don't... It never feels like Kira or, P or Stehos are overstepping what they are capable of. It is very clear to me that they both understand what their role is, not just on the team, but in terms of what it means to be a top laner in the current meta, what it means to be a mid laner in the current meta. And they operate within this framework, this kind of constructed play style that allows Diamond Prox to do all these ultra-aggressive things. They allow him to paint outside the lines, essentially, because they are so rigid. You need to have that kind of framework to, to construct the image that you want, and then you get to add you know splashes of color here and there and, and all over the place. Chase, I disagree with you, but you did touch on earlier the sort of the weakness that you see out of Gambit and what you think that Leon would have to exploit of this bottom lane. Yeah. So for everyone at home, just know Chase is wrong, but I want him to uh, you know give him your you know give him the argument. And you guys can then make your own decisions about uh, uh, who's right. But but just remember, I, I have the belt. So Chase, please go ahead and tell everyone why Gambit, uh, why Edward and Blasting may be a bit of a liability for this Gambit roster. Uh, well, how about the fact that they picked Jin in their first rotation in both of their games as soon as the priority was available to them? Look, Blasting is a guy who is at his best in his career, been an okay AD carry. He's never been a big playmaker. That's never been his MO. He hasn't had to be. They have these solo laners. That's what his teams have always liked to play around. But when you can't play within the meta, it's a problem. 
and he was banned out in, in some of these games. You saw he had a lot of pressure put on him to try to you know make those plays, especially in the, in the mid to late game of those three and four, where they had these like long team fights, and he just did not have enough damage. He was not able to put out enough damage to turn those fights, and I, I think that that matters. I think it matters that Edward is not very good at understanding when to roam and when to get that vision down. All of the problems that you remember from Edward in Season 4, back when he was still playing for Gambit, when Gambit was an EU team, all of those were still very apparent to me when I watched this team. It, it really felt like he had not yet kind of... He, he, he still makes those mistakes. It's, it's like, I want to place the ward. I know the ward matters. So I'm going to place the ward without thinking... But I haven't gotten it yet, so I don't know where my opponent is, and this could backfire. That second thought of, oh, right, I should call somebody to help me with that just doesn't seem to come. And that's unfortunate, but it's a common mistake, I think, of guys who are wildcard players. But for a guy like Edward, who's been around since Season 2, it's disappointing to see. Uh, and I think the final thing we have to point out is just that that vision and the problems that come from Edward not being that great presence uh, in the Vision game and from Blasting not being a great presence in the bot lane, they are terrible at controlling Dragon. It, they are horrendous at it. For the first four games of the series, they got one across those four games, and two of those were victories, obviously. They just could not get a handle on when they should be roaming there, what they should be fighting for, when to take that objective off the map. Uh, their Rift Heralds were also not very good. They got them, on, I think, every game, but they weren't necessarily used all that well. Uh, their ability to squeeze the map comes from Diamond Prox roams and from Kira roams and, and working as this you know kind of skirmishing unit as a team, not from the traditional, you know, get these wards down, force the opponent to fight on your terms because you've set up the fight that now they have to move into. They don't set that up very well. It requires a patience that they haven't demonstrated. Uh, and I think some of that is going to be the nature of their opponent, we saw that Russia was among the bloodiest regions that we watched this week. Yeah. Uh, certainly more, yep. I, I think, some of the higher kill counts we've seen of, uh, of any of the games uh, that we watched. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I think that if we learned anything from Rift Rivals, it's that bloody games are not necessarily a sign of you know skill any more or less than perfectly clean early games in which people just kind of farm up and do whatever they want. It's all a matter of how the regional meta comes through. But it does imply a high-risk, high-reward mentality. If you're a team that likes to fight a lot, well, you better be winning those fights because when a team likes to skirmish a lot and they get their advantage around the map through those kinds of roams rather than you know, making those kind of longer-term vision plays, well, we know a team like that in Europe. They were called the Unicorns of Love, and they did really well until they didn't. And that's... The big problem I have with a team with that mentality. If you're going to do it by skirmishing, you better be winning all those skirmishes. And that's going to require a little bit more of a, a deft hand than maybe teams that you know would have that vision control, would have that bigger priority in the bot lane would be giving you. So those are concerns to me. I mean... There are a couple issues more macro-oriented, so I'll focus on just, just the gambit... Uh, I, this is just a better version of Albus Nox Luna, and it took 
The only thing that I think that roster really has over was Lickrit in terms of the flexibility and the uniqueness of his champion pool. But I think this is a cleaner version of Elvis Noxler. Now, I think that they get their aggression not from the jungle position because Steos was not that aggressive of a jungler. It really was based on Lickrit roaming up, roaming around and playing these kind of weird oddball champion picks and just not getting punished for it because that wasn't where the meta was for the major regions and they really caught a lot, a lot of people off guard. I think that's a similar thing with Diamond Prox because he doesn't do stereotypical gank routes. He plays Kane, he plays Jarvan, but he's taking all of this wealth of experience that he has as a jungler for five years and, and brings it into every single game. And there are definitely moments where I watch and I even go, I don't know what Diamond is doing, but I know him well enough to know that he doesn't waste movement. He doesn't waste where he is on the map and everything has a purpose. I do totally agree that I think the dragon issue is, I don't think it's as much of a concern as you do, but putting it in the hands of like World Elite, if they get like, you know, two Infernal Drakes and a Mountain Dragon, that's probably game over for Gambit just because of how good the, the major regions are gonna be at exploiting those kind of advantages. Um, at the end of the day, the Edward point is, I, I'm wishy-washy on it because I don't, really agree with it in terms of uh, it, just that he's constantly getting caught out, that he's constantly making the wrong decision. I, I, I just don't agree with that because I think we've seen plenty of supports, even modern day supports that that happens with. I think that's a criticism that we have of Ale, but we still, you know, respect what Ale does and think that he's a, a really solid support. Yeah. I mean, I kept him off my all-pro team for a reason. Like, I, I am part, like, take, okay. like, take the that's biases fair. into yeah, account. Like I, like, I am biased against supports who make those plays where they get themselves caught out all that often. I guess my only distinction I would make between Edward and Ale is I think Ale was much more likely to be proactive with the engages. I think Edward was following up on what Diamond Prox and Stehos were doing more often than that's, that. That is, like, that is a fair way, I think, to to explain the differences between Ale and, and Edward, and I think even Vizichachi and, uh, or not Vizichachi, Hillisong and Edward. Mm -hmm. So I, just because you made the unicorn of love gamut point. Yeah. That being said, that's kind of the battle for the number two seed out of Group A, because I'm pretty much okay with kind of writing in stone that Team WE are getting out of this group. Uh, Chase, yeah. do you want to say anything first that would make me pause and take my chisel out and set down my brontosaurus burger and say, well, now that you mention it, maybe I, maybe I don't want to put this in stone. I could just show you the last three years of China at Worlds, if you'd like. We could just go back over how seasons five and season six went, where we were so sure that LGD was going to go to the finals. We were so sure that EDG was going to be this dominant threat in the bracket stage. We were just we're we're constantly so sure that China is this great region because it is certainly a mechanically strong region. It's certainly a region in which there are a lot of individually great players, which happens when the player base is mm -hmm. as huge as it is. Uh, there's a lot of fun things to say about Team WE, formerly known as World Elite. I'm going to have a very hard time not calling them that, so forgive me, Team WE fans, if I do. <laughs> but it's just worth noting that China, for now, this is going to be the third year in a row, MSI and Worlds, has not lived up to the hype that we have had from them simply from regional play. There's something about the way that they handle, particularly best of fives, that this region truly struggles. 
And I think a lot of it comes down to, uh, in, in so many times, the games come down to who is the best player on the Rift and how well can they perform. I think the Team WE was a very good example of that because they had two best of fives that they played versus Invictus. If you go to the third place match from the LPL playoffs and then the regional finals, obviously, both of them went to five maps. These teams were incredibly close to each other. And the games that Invictus won, it came down to, well, Rookie was the best player on the Rift, and the best player on the Rift was so good that Team WE didn't have an answer to that. And so that's something where you, you look at that and you say, well, if... I mean, obviously, Team WE went into their series with Invictus knowing that Rookie was going to be the guy that they had to stop. They knew that was the big threat. They probably... And they should have game-planned around that, and it didn't matter in two of those five games in this series. And three of the five in the previous one. So that tells me something about their ability to prep properly. That tells me something about their ability to handle these really great mechanical players. I, I, I just want to bring that up before we write down in stone, Team WE, great team, go into the finals at Worlds, which I've heard, I've heard, semi-finalist at Worlds, I've heard, I've heard a lot of these kinds of big talk and I just, I think it's worth noting that there are flaws with this team and that Condi did have some weird issues with his champion pool in that regional finals and in the LPL playoffs. It was weird. We can all look back on the, the Kha'Zix and say that that wasn't necessarily, like, I don't think it was adding as much as, say, if he felt more comfortable on the Jarvan, which he did, just simply did not look as comfortable with as he did on the Kha'Zix. I, you know, I, I think that, it's worth noting that 957 had some games in which he looked very good and some games in which he really didn't, which is about par for the course with 957 over the course of his entire career. I don't think he's made a leap in that regard. I don't... This is not a condemnation of Team WE, to be clear. I do think they win Group A. I do think they get to the Group A. I was about to say, like, and you I do realize think... we're talking about the play-in right now. Okay? I, 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 understand. <laughs> I wasn't saying are they winning the World Championship. But I just, I want to be able to, I, I, I feel like we need to have this discussion now. Because I think Team WE are so hyped by especially some of the Chinese analysts. Who I have a great deal of respect for. I've read all, I've read all the articles. I, I've taken it all in. I'm not ignoring what people who spend more time on the LPL than me are saying. But I do feel like we have this tendency to talk down some of China's issues, both as a region and of some of these individual teams' ability to prepare for very specific things. And then these best of fives happen, and we're, we act surprised time and time again. And they're going to need a best of five to get into the group stage at Worlds. And they, you know, I don't know who that second team is going to be. Obviously, they redraw after the two teams are selected from each of these groups because they felt the need to make this more complicated. Um, didn't thanks, Riot. Yeah, I, I, I get the idea, um, but I think it's probably a little bit clumsier than it needed to be. But when we get to that best of five, when they drop a map, and you're not like it feels a little weird that they drop a map to a team that they shouldn't lose to. I, I just want to have these conversations now. Um, I think that for this group and for these best of ones, they're going to be dominant. I don't think that either Gambit or Leon have the tools to take this team down okay. in a best of one. Um, but if we're going to stop writing things down in stone, it's because a lot of history 
tells us that we should. A lot of Team WE history tells us that we should. And there are still a couple of these flaws from their series against Invictus that just are going to linger in the back of my head as this kind of ticking time bomb when they get to the must-win best-of-fives that we've seen teams like Team WE struggle with. Potentially that. against Young Generation. Yeah. I just want to point that out. Like, again... I mean, we don't... Yeah, we don't know. Like, we'll have to wait and see to how those will be redrawn. We'll have to wait and see how good some of these teams look in these play-in groups. Like, there's a lot that's going to happen between here and there. But if you're asking me what gives me qualms, those are the things that give me qualms. I just, like... To be clear, none of that is as strong as all the things that I love about this team. I love Except so Condi's Cossacks. That apparently is a major, major issue. I don't like the pick. It didn't like it didn't do anything that the Jarvan could not have done but better. Right, but if if the player is more comfortable on champion, then like I can't begrudge him for picking that over something that does the same job. Maybe slightly better, but like if if I have two champions and I know I am more confident on one of them, even if the other one might be slightly better, I'm still gonna take the one I'm more confident on. Like, I, 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 I dislike this kind of... Even though, like, the blasting gin thing, like, yeah, it's weird, but if a player is comfortable on something and a team can make it work, and it works successfully or it works 60% of the time or whatever rate that they're comfortable with, I, I don't like begrudging people for these kind of offbeat picks because I just remember a year ago we were praising Liquid of, like, oh, I can't wait to see the brand. I can't wait to see the brand. I can't yeah. wait to see Condi's Kha'Zix. Like, he's good at the champion. I want to see him play what he's good at. Team WE is from a power region. I'm judging them on a separate scale. They're, they're not some Russian team where it's like, it'll be really cool if they take a couple maps. Like, Team WE, with all the hype that they're getting from these analysts, if they don't make it to the bracket stage of Worlds, then we're potentially Are you, are you really team. afraid that they're not going to make it to the bracket stage? Yeah. Yeah, of course I am. How many Chinese teams got out of the bracket stage in the last two years? Of course I'm afraid. Of course. That, and this is exactly why I feel we need to bring it up now. But let's talk about the good things, because I feel like we can get, like, I can get lost in the woods. <laughs> yeah, is, I'm, I'm in the middle of the woods. I don't know where the light is at this moment. You're like, China's bad. Let's remember China's bad. All right, what, what's good about World Elite, please? Because I, I like this team. I think this team is really fun. I made money on this team because they won summer. Uh, they won spring, so... Bring me back. Bring me back out of the woods here, buddy. I mean, Mystic is still one of the most fun AD carries in the world to watch. And that hasn't go. changed. Yep. Ben is one of the most fun supports in the world to watch, and that hasn't changed. Yep. Uh, that it gives them the tools that they need uh, in so many different directions, because for all of the problems I have with Condi, maybe not necessarily having the flexibility that I'd like, Mystic and Ben have all of the flexibility. I don't think there's a single type of bot lane that you could ask World Elite to do that they could not do in spades. I mean, they just feel so confident on so many different angles. Uh, the mechanics are so well done. I mean, it's just, it's really tight micro play. And I highly recommend if you're an AD carry main, like watch Mystic and some of these fights on like half speed and all the little things that he does. It is incredible to watch him do his thing. And it's incredible to watch Gia, who's really developed a lot over the last two years, I think. I think it's very easy to to think of players as stagnant once we've seen them on the world stage or an international stage a few times. But this is a guy who at one point was just a supportive mid, you know, a guy who would play things like Karma and just make his teammates better. And certainly he can still do that. But where he excels is on things like Talia, 
where he's roaming and he's helping to get down these towers. And Team WE is so good once they get a little bit of momentum behind them, just snowballing that over and over and over because they're so individually talented across the board that when they find those little openings and they do get a chance to pounce, it's very difficult to stop. And they're a really fun team fighting team. And I, I think that, you know, they, they are so good at putting pressure on the map, especially in that early game, that any of these wildcard teams are going to be playing 90% of the time from the back foot. And that's a very tall task, especially for a team like Gambit and Lyon. I just, I find it very hard to believe that they can outpace Team WE. I'm sure mm -hmm. Gambit will try, but I think it's going to be very hard to do just because Gia is so intelligent on when those runs need to be coming in. And Ben just gives so much more vision than either of the teams we've discussed today. And Mystic is just so good at getting those outplays. My God, he's so much fun. Uh, White Lotus versus Mystic is going to be a really fun kind of lane for me to watch because I can't wait to see how White Lotus tries to to step up to that. Um, it's, it's a fun team when everything goes according to plan. And, and I think that for these series, they're going to be in more than enough of a spot to do that. I, I figured out why you don't like Team WE. It's okay. because Condi played Ezreal Jungle, isn't it? I mean, that sucked too. I wasn't going to get into that. He, it didn't go well. It wasn't great. He was not the reason that that team won a game, and I'm not even sure they won that game. I'm having to look through my notes now. I just remember that, to that tower dive at like the like four or five minutes into the game that oh. was like perfectly executed with yeah. Ezreal. Like yeah, he had that one great dive, and then they lost that game because it turns out that Ezreal Jungle doesn't actually do that much for your team. I, it's one of those things where if you're going to pull out picks, you better understand how they work, and Ezreal out of the jungle deals a whole bunch of damage, doesn't actually add a whole bunch of crowd control. Right now, with your junglers, you want to have that engage tool. That's why we see things like Jarvan and Gragas picked so often, because they can do the body slams. So there's only one way to play League of Legends. That's what it's just right now, it. that's how it works, and we don't... When, and, when and, the, and the teams, time and the teams that are successful at Worlds are the ones that figure out what the Worlds meta is before anyone else does. Let's remember that. Yeah. The Worlds meta does not stay the same from whatever the regional final and everything was. It changes. Look, if we want to so. create like a second, like you come up with your terms to bet whether Jungle Ezreal is going to be something that's played with any frequency <laughs> at this event, I'm happy to take that bet. I don't think it's a good pick outside of solo queue. I think that Connie's a good player that played it about as well as you could hope, at least in the first ten minutes, and it doesn't do enough. That this is a, like this is the problem with experimenting. Not every experiment works, which is fine. You can learn from it and then move on. But historically, in best of fives, Shadi doesn't do a very good job of adapting and moving on. They they that's not what the region as a whole has done over the past three years. Alright. I wanna adapt and move on because I I just okay, all right. That's your thoughts on world on Team W. I just I I I'm much higher on them than you are. But Chase, you have some gambling lines for us. I do on these series because uh, you you went and grabbed them for me. So mm. uh, what what's the first what's the first series? Well, to be clear, Gam uh, Unicorn gave us the lines for both times the teams play against each other, and they're the exact same line. So technically, like whatever Gambit versus Team WE, there's two matchups, and the line is the same for both of them. So if we think one 
games line is great, gamble on both games is essentially what what we're saying. Is that is that kind of correct? Yeah, I mean, there's going to be some movement, I would assume, after the first day of games because okay. there is some reaction over time. But for right now, like if you feel really good about these, grab it on both because if the team that we believe is going to surprise people does end up surprising people, then you're going to get much better value on it if you go for it ahead of time. Um, All right. I don't think there's going to be a lot of value to grab when it comes to Team WE. As I said... They are the best team in this group. Mm -hmm. I think that it's by a significant margin, and the casinos agree. Team WE is minus 1,429 over Lyon Gaming at plus 650. Uh, they are minus 588 over Gambit Esports, who are at plus 380. Those are huge leads, and the, the gap between Gambit and Lyon is not as wide as that might imply because, as we mentioned, these scales are logarithmic. It really goes way up after a certain point and and that's just kind of how they, they're only just a few decimal points away if you use the decimal system uh, but gambit esports minus 143 over leon gaming i like that a lot that i think too. that gambit is the better team yep i think that even with my concerns about the bot lane i think that they are much more likely to play to a cohesive whole yep. and minus 143 is I think a little bit more value than we probably deserve to be getting on that line. So that's I would agree. That's the one I would hammer in on for sure. I'd agree. Do you think it's more likely that Leon and Gambit split or less likely? I think it's more likely that they split. You think it's more likely that they split? Okay. I, I think that Leon Gaming has at least one great game in them where White Lotus just pops off. Gen thinks they get like three kills in the first ten minutes in the bot lane. And it just becomes this snowball that's very difficult for the rest of Gambit to deal with. I think that's in play. I think it's certainly Gambit gets one of these two maps. It's just a question of whether they get both. I don't think there's any chance that Leon gets a 2-0. Okay. Because Gambit is more than intelligent enough to adapt if Leon kind of sneaks one from him in game one. Okay. I think that is fair enough. Chase, any, any final thoughts on Group A? Anything that we missed? Anything you want to touch on real quick? Yeah, just I, one more time for the people in the back. Team WE is good. They're very good. They're, I, I think I'm having a reaction to just how highly they're being rated when I see things like the ESPN power rankings. That's where I have to take a step back on them. But do not let me taking a step back from that wide level of acclaim lead you to believe that this is not a team that we're going to enjoy watching. This is a very fun team to watch. Win or lose, they're going to be doing shenanigans. They have this great uh, you know, roaming mid. These skirmishes are constantly happening. And when 957 is on point, they it's just this brutal skirmishing team. Uh, and we love skirmishing teams. So, I mean, this is going to be a fun series of games to watch, I think, from top to bottom. I, I don't I think WE is significantly better than the other two, but I do think that both could at least make it interesting, at least play out the early game well enough to give us like a, ooh, I wasn't expecting Leon to do that, or oh, I wasn't. Gambit actually looks pretty good, you know, maybe against another of one of these Gambit's players. Of course Gambit's going to look good. It's it just... Of course Gambit is going to look good. It's my boo, Diamond Prox. Yeah. 
I, I do love Diamond Prox. I do love Diamond Prox. That being said, we hope that you guys loved this episode. I know it's been a couple weeks, but we are back. We had to recharge our batteries after all the shenanigans that happened in North America and Europe and get ready for the World Championship because this is just day one of the Rough Drafts World Championship coverage. We've got three more groups to get out of the way here for the play-in stage and then starts our team-by-team previews. We got our best of fives, don't we? Are we not doing one for the best of five series in the second round of the play-in stage? Once I didn't think we were. Out? Maybe we are. I don't know. I, I feel like he caught me off guard. This is what happens when we're in the same room. We can catch each other off guard. Maybe, maybe. I, I don't I don't know. I didn't know that we were going to do that. Cover but, all the things. But we might be covering those. And then after those, potentially, we're also doing our team-by-team -team previews. I love doing those because we do. We get to watch all this film from all these other regions we didn't pay the most attention to. Hint, hint, LMS. Hint, hint, hint. During the regular season, we get to see these teams. We get to break down our thoughts on them. You guys seem to love them. Reddit seems to love them. We love them, so might as well keep doing them. And then we get into the meat of the, uh, the World Championship schedule. And if you guys aren't following us on Twitter, follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod and join us on Discord because uh, we've got our VOD review for all these team-by-team -team previews already scheduled out. And we want to watch these games with you. We want to learn about, you know, EDG and AHQ and, uh, and Samsung with you guys live. It's been a whole lot of fun to do all the wildcard regions. So definitely hop into the Discord, get the schedule, and then join us for our VOD review sessions. And of course, you guys can follow both of us on Twitter. Even though we're in the same house, we do have separate Twitter accounts. You guys can follow me at C80s underscore LOL. Chase, where can the good folks at home find you? Uh, you can find me at RedShirtKing. Uh, you can also be sure to follow everything I do over at Unicorn, which is the lovely site that I, I write for and work for on multiple levels now at this point. Uh, you can follow all of the stuff that the, that Unicorn is doing at UnicornCO. I actually run that social media page at certain times of the day. So if you want to come say hi, I will say hi back. It'll be fun. I get to be I get to be the business and do the do the businessy shenanigans. Business business. I you know what the businessy man? business business. Uh, I've been an adult man doing all of the business, and it's going to be a great time. I, yeah, let's let's keep talking about some wild cards, man. I think we got three more groups to go through. That has been Group A. Join us again tomorrow as we get into Group B, where the North American powerhouse, Cloud9, awaits at the top of a couple of underachieving regions, I think, in the past year. So until then, goodbye, Internet. You can follow the Rough Drafts Podcast on all your favorite social media sites. Twitter, at Rough Drafts Pod. Facebook.com, backslash Rough Drafts Pod. SoundCloud.com, backslash Esports Rough Drafts. YouTube.com, backslash Rough Drafts Podcast. As well as on iTunes by searching for the Rough Drafts Podcast. The Rough Drafts Podcast is supported by our lovely Patreons at Patreon.com, backslash Rough Drafts Pod. and by viewers like you. Thanks for listening, and goodbye, Internet.